ask you to turn with me in the Bible to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, 39 is where we will be picking up our study today. One thirty-nine through fifty-six, God's of, of Luke's gospel. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb." And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Well, at the dawn of each new day, just as the luster of the sun begins to dispel the darkness of the night, birds begin to sing. This is known as the dawn chorus. It marks the beginning of a new day. Well, the Gospel of Luke marks the beginning of the new age of Jesus the Messiah with three songs. The first is the song that we have here, Mary's song. And then next week we'll be looking at Zechariah's song. And then on the last Sunday of December we will study Simeon's song. Now, these three songs are most commonly known by the first word of each song in Latin, the Magnificat, which is what we're looking at today. My soul magnifies, that word magnifies is the first in the Latin, and then the Benedictus, which is Zechariah's song, and then the Nunc Dimittis, which is Simeon's song. And just as the birds sing at the dawn of a new day, these three individuals sing at the dawn of a new age. The Messiah promised centuries before that we sang about in Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming that, that, that Isaiah foretold. The Messiah promised centuries before is about to be born to deliver his people from Satan's power, from sin, and the result of brokenness. Now there's also songs in the Old Testament. Every time there were great deliverances and acts of redemption by God, there were songs of celebration. We think of uh, the examples of the song of Moses and Miriam and Deborah and Hannah and David, of course, many songs from him. And the New Testament has songs in it as well. 
For example, Philippians 2, 6 through 11 is considered an early Christian hymn by most scholars. And the book of Revelation reveals that the inhabitants of heaven sing a new song to the Lord. They celebrate in song. And the song of Mary here, the Magnificat, celebrates the one who brings redemption to humankind. I want us to think for a moment, what makes us burst into song? What do you celebrate? Well, maybe yesterday you were singing your uh, favorite college team's fight song as they won the day. Every time they score a touchdown, there's a song. You know, the the band plays the the song that uh, everybody sings along to and celebrates. And we sing songs at, at various celebrations in our lives. Well, what makes you celebrate? What makes you sing? Well, let's look at Mary's visit to her kinswoman Elizabeth and see what they were celebrating and stir our hearts up to celebrate that which is of most importance. Well, just to set the context of what's going on here in the passage before us this morning, the previous verses we examined last week told us that the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she would give birth to the Messiah, of course. And when he explained to her that this birth would be a miraculous birth, a virgin birth, the angel gives her a sign or a confirmation in verse 36, where he says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now verse 7, back chapter 1, verse 7, told us that Zechariah and Elizabeth had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So it's another miracle birth. It's not a virgin birth like Mary's, but it's a miracle that Elizabeth is with child. And in response to the words of Gabriel there in verse 39, it tells us that Mary arose and went with haste to visit Elizabeth as she finds out that her kinswoman is with child. Now, it was about a week or so after Gabriel visits Mary that she arrives at Elizabeth's home. And as soon as she walks through the door and says hello, or whatever greeting she gave, the baby, John the Baptist, leaps in the womb of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she breaks out into what some scholars say is a song of her own. In verse 42, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now think about this scene. Here is Elizabeth, certainly glowing with joy over her own pregnancy, which she had long lost hope would ever happen. If you look back up to verse 25, you can see how much her own pregnancy meant to her. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The Lord, by giving her John the Baptist, has taken away her reproach. So she's rejoicing in her own blessedness of having John the Baptist. But instead of being the center of attention here, she rejoices in what the Spirit has revealed to her about Mary and the baby in her womb. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Yes, Mary is blessed because 
of the not more than two-week-old baby that she carries in her womb. In verse 43, she identifies Jesus as the Lord, though Mary hasn't even had a chance to tell her that she's pregnant. She says, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, the baby in Mary's womb is king of kings and lord of lords. John the Baptist was already doing the work that he was called to do. Even in the womb, he was preparing the way for Christ and, and announcing Christ. And he leaps for joy inside of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth goes on, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now you remember, you may not remember, but if you look back to the story of Zechariah, uh, he goes to the temple, he's a priest, and an angel, the angel Gabriel, appears to him and tells him that he's going to be a father, that Elizabeth is going to have a child, and he has a hard time believing that. And because he has a hard time believing that, uh, the angel Gabriel says, you're not going to be able to speak until John is born. So he didn't believe, but Mary does believe. Mary is blessed because she believed the words of Gabriel. And that's a lesson for us as well. Do we believe God's word? There's a blessedness that comes with trusting and believing God's word to us. Well, as you look at this scene, what an encouragement and confirmation it must have been. Uh, these words of Elizabeth must have been for Mary and for us as well. You know, Luke wrote in, in the early part of chapter 1 that he compiled these things. He did research and he, he uh, looked at eyewitness accounts and interviewed people and he wanted to give us certainty about the things that we had been taught, specifically to Theophilus, but to us as well. Certainty about these matters whose importance is beyond compare. Now these words that Elizabeth utters here inspire Mary in turn to break out in song in verse 46. Now as we see what Mary is celebrating in this song, we can join her in that celebration we too can have something to sing about as we are part of this new age of the Messiah, looking forward to the fulfillment of it as Christ returns. Well, Mary celebrates three things in her song. First, she celebrates the gift of the Savior. Then she celebrates the work of the Savior. And finally, she celebrates the promise of the Savior. So first we see her celebrating the gift of the Savior. The first part is very personal. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now you remember last week we, we talked about Mary. She lived in Nazareth. That was a nowhere town. She was a, a very young teenager, a peasant girl, uh, probably illiterate, uh, but had learned, obviously, in the synagogue God's word, and she was a godly young woman. 
And God did something totally unique for Mary in all of mankind. And we can rejoice in that, as Mary does, because it wasn't just for Mary. He did it for you, he did it for me, and for Mary. You'll notice that Mary gives thanks to God, my Savior. She needs a Savior too. And she's rejoicing in the fact that the Lord, her Savior, has reached down to her and given her this blessedness, this responsibility. She's a sinner. She's not sinless, as some people believe. She needs a Savior, and that's why she calls God her Savior. We all, including Mary, need a Savior. Mary understands the significance of what is happening and she worships and exults in the Lord with her whole being, her spirit and her soul, from inside out. She's bursting forth. And we should rejoice with her because the Lord is using her to bring the Savior into the world. She has been given that unique privilege and responsibility, this poor peasant girl from a nowhere town. Look what she says. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. If you are a believer in Christ today, through her, the Lord has done great things for you as well. And that's something to celebrate. The Savior has looked on your humble estate, you as a sinner. He's not ignored you. He's not passed by you. He loves you, and he gave himself for you. And you, too, are unique in your own way. You're not the mother of, of the Savior, but you have been given special gifts and privileges and responsibilities that are unique to you to be used in God's kingdom. You have been brought into his family, and you have a vital part to play in that. And that's something to celebrate, that the Lord has looked down on you and given you a Savior through Mary. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Mary celebrating God's unique blessedness to her, but we can all celebrate that. We can, also, we can celebrate what the Lord did for her because it has significance for us, and we can also celebrate what the Lord has done for us individually, as Paul does when he says the Lord loved me and gave himself for me. That's true of anybody who is in Christ. So as we think about what Mary is saying, let us, let us join in that song together with her and, and give praise to God for his indescribable gift. Well, secondly, Mary teaches us to celebrate the work of the Savior in verses 50 through 53. Uh, you see here, Mary says, his, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and, and it goes on and, and it says several things in past tense. He has filled uh, the hungry. Uh, Mary speaking in the past tense because this birth, the birth of the Messiah, will accomplish all these things. This is, a, this is the way the prophets spoke. And I would say that Mary is prophesying as she sings her song uh, in the presence of Elizabeth. It is so sure... The fact that Christ is coming into the world, it is such a certainty 
that she can talk about these things in the past tense. And you see that also uh, in the prophets, in the Old Testament prophets. They spoke in the past tense to show that what they were saying is, is as good as done. The event of Christ being conceived in the womb of Mary by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, that, that secures the fact that these things are going to come about. Now, what happens here in what Mary is saying, what she's describing, is a, a complete reversal of human values. God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Everything's being reversed it's not the proud or the mighty or the rich who have the last word. Indeed, through his Messiah, God is about to overthrow all these. He talks about the mighty and they are on thrones and Mary is speaking of those actually uh, rulers, not simply of just powerful people. Every knee is going to bow to this Savior. Every knee is going to bow to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and confess him one day. Every kingdom will fall except his kingdom. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is unlimited. We look to so many different places to, to find salvation, uh, the good life. What do we want? Maybe we look to, to politicians. We think that if we just had the right person in office, things would be much better. We need to look beyond that to, to Christ. He's the one who is going to reign and rule forever. He talks about filling the hungry and sending the rich away empty. In the ancient world, it was just accepted as fact that the rich would be well cared for. They had the resources to do so. Poor people must expect to be hungry. That's the way it was going to be. There was no government assistance in those days. But Mary sings of a God who is not by, bound by what people do or the way people think about things. He turns human attitudes and, and the orders of society upside down. Think of the Beatitudes. Who's blessed? The poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall, inherit the com the, the, uh, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, in the world today, nobody thinks that if you're poor in spirit, if you're mourning and meek and hungering and thirsting for righteousness or merciful or, or pure in heart, that you're very great or blessed. But in God's economy, in the Messiah's kingdom, that's exactly who is blessed. The world values power and wealth. These are not the value of Christ's kingdom. These are not the values Christ exhibited in his life. He conquered the greatest enemy of humanity, sin and death, through becoming poor and powerless. That hymn that I've mentioned from Philippians 2, he was in the form of God. He did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, a humiliating death, an ignominious death. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is doing something through Mary. And she's celebrating that because the, the, the way the world works is changing. Christ's kingdom is coming in. How should we respond to that? Well, these blessings, his mercy, is for those, verse 50, who fear him from generation to generation. Fear not cowering fear, but an awe, a respect. Taking him seriously, regarding Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords and responding appropriately to him. Mary is rejoicing in the significant event that is happening in her very body and that will change the world. And we should celebrate that as well. Well, thirdly, she celebrates the promise of the Savior. Verse 54, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now once again, if we take this in context, it has been 400 years since there was a prophet in Israel. The intertestamental period, the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was silence from God. Uh, you, you end the, the Old Testament with the, the people of God, the the, the, the nation of Israel going back to the promised land, rebuilding the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. And there they are uh, trying to put things back together. And there's this hope that, yes, we're going to get back to what we once were. But it doesn't happen that way. You know, through all the history and all the fighting and the wars, and we come to the 400 years later, after many regime changes, the, the Romans are in charge. And they're still an oppressed people. And they might wonder, well, has God forgotten his people and his promises that he made to Abraham that we would, you know, that, that through Abraham the whole world would be blessed? That, that the people of, of, of Abraham's descendants would be uh, as many as the stars in the sky and the sands on the, sands on the seashore. Has God forgotten those things? Mary says, no, no, he has helped his servant Israel in the fullness of time. Galatians 4, Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 400 years and now all of a sudden God is doing something. Very quietly, because it's in a little town in Nazareth to a little peasant girl, uh, and, and no one knows really except Elizabeth. And now Zechariah, I'm sure, who's standing there. But he can't say anything. He can't tell anybody. He'll have his opportunity later. But when the fullness of time had come, God remembered his promises that he had made to Abraham, to Moses, to David. God keeps his promises and those promises are fulfilled in Christ. Galatians 3, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, 
and to your offspring, who is Christ. Christ fulfills the promise for us. All those promises are yea and amen in Christ. Paul goes on and says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, through faith in him, through trusting in the Messiah. So Mary is celebrating the promise of the Savior. And she's saying, here we have it. In the, this is the fullness of time. This is the moment where God is acting, where he is bringing about the fulfillment of his promises. It's happening. Now we might, in our day and time, think, well, where is Christ again? He said he was coming back, and we can become lackadaisical in thinking about that. We can become, we can wonder, has, has God really going to do this thing? Is, he, is Jesus going to come back? Well, Peter tells us this. 2 Peter 3. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Well, Mary was celebrating that God was on the move and working. He was about to do something wonderful for humanity. And, and he's going to complete that by coming again. And in the meantime, as we wait, let us not grow weary in well-doing, but live lives of holiness and godliness and repent. He's giving us time to repent and to share the good news and tell others that they need to turn to the Lord because he's the Savior. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And the only way that you can be without spot or blemish is by putting your faith and trust in the Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God is faithful to his promises, and he's going to complete that which he started in the world and in each one of us. And that's a great encouragement and something to celebrate, not to become passe about, not to become callous towards, but to be excited about. God is on the move. God is working. He's working today. So we can sing with Mary and celebrate the birth of Christ and his return. And we're going to do that exactly now. We're going to, I, want you, I want you to invite you to take out your hymnals not your hymnals, the insert in your bulletin. Uh, Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. This is a paraphrase of the Magnificat. And we're going to sing it with Mary. Tell out my soul, look at the words, tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord, a numbered blessings. Count your blessings. The numbered blessings give my spirit voice, tender to me, the promise of his word, and God, my Savior, shall my heart rejoice. 
Tell out my soul the greatness of his name. Make known his might and the deeds his arm has done. His mercy sure from age to age the same. Isn't that wonderful that God is merciful towards sinners like you and I? His holy name, the Lord, the mighty one. Tell out my soul the greatness of his might. Powers and dominions lay their glory by. Proud hearts and stubborn wills are put to flight. The hungry fed, the humble lifted high. He's going to completely change this world and the power structure of it. And finally, tell out my soul the glories of his word. Firm is his promise and his mercy sure. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord to children's children and forevermore. Let's pray together and then we'll sing it to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you have blessed us with the indescribable gift. Words are not enough to say how much it means that, Lord, we were doomed because of evil and sin, doomed to die and to be eternally lost. But, Lord, in the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son, born of a, a, born of a woman, born under the law, to free us from Satan's power, to free us from the curse of sin and, and death and to give us everlasting life with you in the new heavens and new earth. Lord, we pray that all of us would embrace Jesus Christ this Christmas. And we pray, Lord, that we would be inspired to live lives of holiness and godliness, looking forward to that day when Christ will return. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.